Welcome to the baptismal service of Pedro, Peter Fuentes. And this is a very exciting moment for us here as a body as it is for Peter. And it, and it gives us an opportunity to once again spend time meditating on what is Christian Baptism. So that's what I'm going to be doing leading up to baptizing Peter at the end of this service. Let's pray. Father, You are good. Your salvation in Your Son, Jesus Christ, is glorious. I ask that this morning You give us all ears to hear what the Gospel is, but to hear also the Gospel, the good news to us as individuals, as, as will be demonstrated with the public proclamation of faith in Jesus through baptism. So help me unfold this glorious ordinance of the church in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, what we're going to be doing this morning, believe it or not, there's water behind that screen, is baptism. Baptism is not a man-made idea. It is a biblical, God-ordained ordinance of the church, along with the other ordinance. Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. It started with John the Baptizer. It was continued on in Jesus' ministry, though mainly His disciples would be baptizing. And then after Jesus' death and His resurrection, right before His ascension, He said to the leadership of the church, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So I want to begin there. I want to begin where we go back to John's baptism to get a glimpse of this very significant happening in the life of persons. So I want you to turn to Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3. And this will lead me towards the end then, to say, okay, Jesus has come though, this is a little bit different than John, what is this Christian baptism? But here are the foundations of what baptism is. Chapter 3, starting with verse 1, we read, I still hear paper, Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Alright, I want to I stop for a little bit there and just ponder this historical situation. 
John's baptism was a direct attack on deeply held assumptions of the Jews in the first century. And we will, I hope, see throughout church history that same principle is true today. First century. I'm a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. What are you talking about? I belong to the people. Repent. And many responded that way and refused baptism. What are you talking about? I was baptized as a baby. I do the sacraments of the church. I've made my confirmation. I monthly or yearly or weekly do the sacrament of penance. I pull the levers. I'm safe. Okay. So back to the historical context. Let's get the picture. John... He shows up in the wilderness of Judea. There was a lot of water there in the Jordan. And he's preaching to his fellow Jews, repent because the kingdom of God in the Savior, in the Messiah, in Jesus, the Son of David, it's coming. It's right here. It's right at hand. Prepare for it. And so he says to the covenant people, God, who have the sign of the covenant. The males do on the eighth day, circumcised in coverings for their families. We are God's covenant people. These people, in one sense, and it was absolutely true, are God's chosen people in the flesh. Outwardly. They're born into it. And they're born into the culture. And they get circumcised and keep the laws of Moses. And here's John saying, repent. One at a time. Come. Individual persons of this larger covenant community receive baptism. Which when you do, this is a radical, personal, individual commitment to belong to the true people of God. This says to you Jews in the first century, it's not based upon who your parents are. Nor upon your religious upbringing. Repent, we will see, because the wrath of God hangs over you. Let's pick up again with verse 5 and see. So John, I mean Matthew goes on. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan River were going out to John the Baptist. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the highly fundamentalist Jews, the Pharisees, and also the Sadducees coming for baptism, John said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Bear fruit 
in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones, rocks, to raise up children for Abraham. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But He who is coming after Me, Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand, and He will clear His threshing floor and gather His wheat into the barn. But the chaff, He will burn with unquenchable fire. Gosh, we got to get the historical moment of what was happening. John is proclaiming to you, my fellow Jews, who have the sign of the religious covenant with God, repent! Come one at a time confessing your sins and give proof of the sincerity of your changed heart with a new life of how you live. And be baptized in the water as a sign of that. Do it because God's wrath is hanging over your head. That's implicated. Who, who warned you? This baptism. How did you know this baptism is about fleeing, running away from the wrath of God? This is one reason there are many of us, and I know that we Christians, we dis disagree, or we, we're trying to figure this out as parents in particular, but many of us who, by God's grace, have come to saving faith in Jesus, whether as a child or as an adult, and, hey, and He gave me a wife or a husband, and we have kids, and we raise our kids up in church, which is a glorious, God-ordained gift to those kids to be raised in the covenant community. They are sanctified. But this is one reason why we, or many of us, don't baptize our kids as infants. Or two-year-olds. Or six-year-olds. But we wait. And it's debatable. Let, let me just say, that even last summer, I, we, we sent two of our young, I have six kids, and I sent two of the younger, was it, did they go to vacation Bible school, honey? Right, okay. And I knew, okay, at the end, what are they going to do? They're going to tell them, okay, you don't, you know, I don't, I don't even know if they would have said the biblical thing about an eternal judgment. But maybe they did. And you don't want to go to hell. You want to be saved. You love Jesus, right? Well, who doesn't love Jesus if you're raised in a Christian home it's at seven or nine? And it made us a little okay. Okay, but so come and we'll baptize you. 
And then they go into the water. They haven't hit puberty yet, but they will. And boy, will things be tested about, did they understand the gospel? Is the Holy Spirit actually in them? He may be. He saves people with six. Okay, as we work this out, I don't, okay, I'm a parent, always trying to work this out. But there's a reason. I don't want to steal from them this glorious moment of Peter. Now, I know Peter touched water before. And he went under, as I did as a baby. I don't believe in rebaptizing. When a person comes to the realization that that baptism was not genuine, which if you were not converted to Jesus through new birth, then it wasn't biblical baptism. And then I trust your confession, and we baptize for the first time. It's not a second, like I did when I was 19, because I didn't know the Lord until I was 19 years old. We wait. Hearing the Gospel, oh dads particularly, families, mothers, and, and the local church, give the kids the Gospel. And then you look, and you wait. Where they say, please don't withhold from me the waters of baptism. I see it. This is a, the Gospel is amazing. They could be eight, they could be eighty, they could be twenty-six. He's changed my heart. And then the water is this glorious ordinance of the church of a physical proclamation of what happened in me. Okay, I'll get back to my notes now. So there's John. John called the Jews to admit that they were sinners who needed to get right with God, even though. They were His covenant people, physically. And those who came and got baptized, they were admitting that being a Jew and keeping Jewish law is no guarantee of being saved. Their baptism was a sign of their renouncing their reliance on their ethnicity, their, on who their parents were, on their synagogue going, on their circumcision and Sabbath keeping, or any other religious acts. They were saying, I want the mercy of God, John, baptize me. And so John comes along announcing, repent. And be baptized because this is the sign that you, one at a time, are coming to grips with your sin before God and you want His mercy for the Son of David is on the way. And so this baptism is not based upon your religiosity, your parents raised a Buddhist, raised as a Muslim, or raised as a Christian. It is based upon individuals coming to grips with the Gospel and crying out because they see the mercy and the joy in it. And they say, I'm saved.
listen to what John says again in verses 8 and 9. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these rocks to keep His promise to Abraham and give him children. That's what he's saying. He's particularly speaking to the Jewish leadership. John knows that for most of them, their trust was in their ethnic, cultural, and religious marks. And I fear that that manifested itself in its own way in first century Judaism, but that very thing, I fear, is a problem with many, many young people raised up in American evangelicalism today, cloaked with a, an utterly inadequate so-called gospel. John says, don't you dare talk about I'm a child of Abraham if there's no fruit of repentance. He knows what he's talking about. John confronted because many of these, particularly the Pharisees, refuse to be baptized by John. And John knows what they're saying. <laughs> Who in the world is he to tell us Jews to flee from the wrath of God. We are His covenant people. My lineage is from Abraham telling me to flee from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is for those non-reformed, or sorry, Pentecostals or whatever. It's, it's for those Gentiles. And John comes saying, the wrath of God's on you, my fellow Jews, unless you repent. And that same prideful deception has unfolded in manifold ways throughout the last 2,000 years of church history. I've been baptized as an infant in the church, made my first Holy Communion in my confirmation. Or I've been baptized at Awana's. A vacation Bible school or when I was 6 or 8 or 12 and I was told, don't ever doubt your salvation. But, but I'm 22 now and I keep hearing the Gospel being preached and I think, I don't, what are you talking about? I see zero. No, don't worry about it. You, you believe in Jesus. You're sincere. You're okay. Who in the world is a preacher like John or anyone else today to say Repent. Or you will perish. And so John makes this stunning statement to them. I tell you, God is able to raise up from these rocks children to Abraham. Anybody who puts their trust in their parentage, the family they're brought up in, the church they're brought up in, including this one, I'm a Christian, therefore. He says, no. 
Not because of any of that. God can raise up from rocks children of Abraham. And that is exactly what He does. Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it a number of years later in Galatians 3, 26-29. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. These are non-Jews. You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. And in Christ, therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are a rock raised up as a child of Abraham. Then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. John says, God will keep His promise to Abraham. He will raise up His people. But He will not fulfill that promise to anybody in the Jewish community or in the Gentile community or in the Roman Catholic Church or in Baptist churches or in Presbyterian churches or at Sovereign Grace Fellowship to anybody who remains with a hard-hearted, unrepentant, unbelieving, therefore, heart in the Lord Jesus, no matter if they are physical children of Abraham or children of Christian parents. He's the sovereign God. He will have the seed of Abraham even if he has to raise up rocks to be that seed. Like a Jew, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church named Paul. And then he raised him up. Or like me, back in 1981, a rock. Or like, and he has an appropriate name, Peter or Pedro, the rock. He'll raise up his children from Abraham. And so what I want to do then now say, okay, but Jesus has come. This is not exactly like John's baptism, but those principles, as I want you to hear, are there. So in a nutshell, let me unfold Christian baptism. In the last two verses of the Gospel of Matthew, before His ascension into heaven, the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19-20, Church, the leadership of the church. Go spread this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, what is this Christian baptism? It is to do what He said. Preach. Preach and teach this good news. That's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell them Tell them that for centuries God was patient working out this redemptive plan from creation through calling Abraham to delivering His children of Israel through Moses and then the prophets and then King David. And He made a promise to David, one of your physical descendants will come. And I will place Him on your throne. And He'll reign unendingly forever. And this Son of David is Jesus from Nazareth. He is Yahweh who became a human being in order that He would live in perfect sinlessness as a human being and that He would be the Lamb of God. The substitution whom God the Father Himself would put forward so that He would look at the sins of all who are destined for salvation and in Jesus He will punish Him with His wrath. Wiping out, therefore, the penalty of sin for it's paid in full. And to prove it all, God raised that human being, Jesus, on the third day to new, immortal, everlasting life. And He will return again. And He, that man, will judge the living and the dead. If you believe this, nothing else. If you hear it, if you see it with the eyes of your heart, you will be saved. That's what he says. Go. Make disciples. Preach it. Teach it. Then what? Then baptize them. Those persons who are converted to Christ. That's what he says. Hear. People hear. Lots of people hear it. That doesn't happen. There's no genuine saving faith. And then others, they hear it. They come alive miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And then they are water baptized as their public profession of their faith. They go under the water signifying you are dying. You're being buried with Christ. Baptism is an identification of, look at that, I belong to Him. I identify with Jesus' bloody slaughter. He did it for, for me. And then we don't leave 
You, Peter, under the water, we raise you up, signifying to you and to all that will witness this. He raised you spiritually from the dead. He caused you to come alive intimately with Him by the Holy Spirit. It's baptism. I want you to, what I just said, it's right there in Romans 6. Look at it for a moment. So Paul describes it. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes, Christian, in Rome, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also might now live or walk in newness of life. Now what Paul is referring to here in Romans 6 is not to water baptism itself, but to what water baptism signifies or points to the miracle of new birth. How do you know you're born again? Because you have saving faith. That's the evidence. You've been born again. That miracle of new birth means, Paul says, that you personally have died with Christ. And you personally have been raised to a new life in Him right now in the flesh as a sinner. You're different. You're new. So now what? Go under the water and signify that internal reality. Symbolize your death with Christ and your spiritual resurrection with Him and the hope of the future bodily resurrection when He returns. That's Paul's understanding. Just I want you to look at one more, Colossians chapter 2. Listen to how Paul unfolds this. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, Paul writes to the church, to believers, to Christians, in Him, in Christ, also, you were... Now, he uses this metaphor again. Listen to the metaphor, the physical metaphor of circumcision applied spiritually. In Him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now watch his connection. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the power, powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to Jesus' cross. And so, the first main point of Christian baptism is that it gets its meaning from the death of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And the resurrection of Jesus. His conquering death for us. That, Jesus' work 2,000 years ago, is what guarantees eternal, everlasting life. For all of those who now, on this side of your death, have already been raised spiritually to a new life in Christ. And so, this ordinance of the church called water baptism, it is mainly about the Lord Jesus and His historical, magnificent work of salvation in dying for our sins and rising from the dead, conquering death. And therefore, as we come to faith in Jesus and we get baptized only once, it is our confession of faith. Embracing publicly my identification with the slaughtered Jew from Nazareth who is the Son of David and the Lord of the universe. It is a public confession. Proclamation of my personal salvific faith in Jesus. To me, Peter, who's being baptized this morning. That's what he's saying. And then secondly, water baptism signifies our identification with Christ's church. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12-13. He's writing to the church, that church, not the one in Ephesus, or the one in Thessalonica. He's writing to the church in Corinth. They know each other's names, and it's a large city, and they have however they're deciding to break up groups and have meetings. They know who's in and they know who's out. And he writes to them, for just as the body, that's the imagery of the church, Christ the head, and then everyone who's being saved by Him, coming through the waters of baptism is that proclamation. They're the body. There's only one body of Christ. For just as the body is one, and it has many members, fingers and hands and heart and ligaments. It has many, many members, individual members. And all the members of the body, of the church, though they're many, they are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, male, female, short, tall, with this gift or that, all kinds of differences. So the Holy Spirit, through new birth, in the hearing of the Gospel, puts persons into Christ. And thus, and there may be some time lapses between this, depending on the circumstance, but in thus, He puts them into the community of Christ that He set up called the local church. And baptism symbolizes this identification with Christ's church, which on a spiritual level had already happened before the physical dunking and coming up out of. Baptism is a statement of the person being baptized. I love Jesus. I believe this gospel. And as I go into water, I'm saying, because I realize when I was born into the world, or even two years ago, there were other persons who were in Christ before me. And they are gathered in ten thousands of local churches around the world. And, and, and I have found one, and I am saying, I'm one of you. This is what baptism also is. It's not just that, though. It is meant to be also this. Those local churches that pre-exist people coming to faith in Jesus are saying, as the entirety of those local churches as a membership, we say to you, Peter, yes, the evidences are there. You are one of us. We see the work of Christ and the Gospel in your life. We see the fruit and the tree. We are going out on a limb with you. Yes, you're one of us. And it brings the person into fellowship with Christ's church. It brings them into covenant obligations relationship. So, like ten thousands of other churches, we have a church covenant here. When people are baptized, they're becoming members. And by becoming a member, it is the public uh, affirmation of the covenant that we all say, yes, this is what we are to one another, is Jesus' body on earth. And I'm not going to read our whole covenant. I'm going to read a few lines. You get a taste of it again. And those of you who are members say, yes, that's right. That's absolutely my joy. It is saying, having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to Him, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on His gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with each other. We will walk together in brotherly love. 
as becomes the members of a Christian church. We will exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts to get a taste. This is what baptism is about. And so as I sum up and we'll sing... And then we'll baptize Peter joyfully. Let me just sum it up. Baptism is related to the big question that we heard from John the Baptist's mouth. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So whether you're 12 years old or 14 or 26 or 87 years old. We are all sinners born into sin. By our very nature, therefore, we are all deserving of God's wrath. The way of salvation is repentance and faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. It's not based upon ethnic identity or religious identity. But I'm Jewish. But I was raised a Roman Catholic. I was raised a Pentecostal or Lutheran or Presbyterian or a Southern Baptist. Or I was raised at Sovereign Grace Fellowship. It is not based on any of that. The Gospel of Jesus Christ calls everyone, no matter who our parents are, whether they were Muslims or American pagans or strong godly Christians, doesn't matter. We are all called to hear with our hearts the Gospel of Jesus and to believe. Meaning, to Delight in it as the treasure that it is. And delight in Him alone for your salvation. And then we receive the new sign of the new covenant. It's not circumcision. It is water baptism into the people of God here on earth. And that's what we're going to be doing now in a few minutes. Is the... The band's going to come up and we're going to worship and sing and Peter and I will be preparing ourselves into the water. Stand with me, please. Father, we thank You for the work of Your Holy Spirit. The only 
agency by which any of us are saved through the work of Jesus Christ. And we ask for a continual, overwhelming presence of your body here in receiving Peter into the local church and receiving and confirming his saving faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, will you continue to overwhelm us by your presence in this glorious gospel of Jesus. Amen.